I'd like to invite you to open up to First uh, Peter chapter four. Um, the text will be First Peter chapter four, verse seven to eleven. First Peter chapter four, verse seven to eleven. Jeremy asked me to preach this text, so if you don't like it, you can blame him again. And uh, he thought it might be helpful for this stage of life in the congregation. And uh, so it's my real joy to open it to you today. I'm going to pray and ask for God's help before we do this and ask him to speak to us through his word. So if you'd join me in prayer. Father in heaven, it's a great privilege to be here this Lord's Day morning to worship you. Uh, Indeed, we were saved in Jesus Christ chiefly to worship you. Certainly with all of our lives, but especially on the Lord's Day as we come together to sing your praise and to hear your word and to offer our prayers to you. We're so thankful that you've spoken to us so clearly, so definitively in your word so that we might know you and know your glory and know all that you've done for us in Jesus and to know um, how in response to the grace we've experienced in Christ we can live for your glory in all of our lives. And Lord, it's the great joy of our life to uh, seek your glory. And so we pray, Father, today as we look at this text that your Holy Spirit would open it to us. Uh, He's the one who inspired the original author, and so we pray that he would illumine it to us as it's read and as we consider it today in this sermon. I pray that you would help me, the preacher of the sermon, uh, help me uh, to minister not in my own strength, but in the strength and power of your Spirit, um, so that the Word of God may go forth clearly. And Lord, all of us are here to sit under your Word, and so we pray that you would give us submissive faith-filled, repentant hearts to receive your word with great joy. Uh, In the areas that we need to be rebuked, we pray that you would rebuke us. In those areas where we need to be encouraged, we pray that you would encourage us. And for those who are here today and not yet Christians, we pray that through the proclamation of your word, you would be pleased to give faith, uh, saving faith, uh, to receive this word. So Lord, we love you and depend on you and ask for your help, both in the preaching and the reading and the hearing of your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Friends, I assure you that though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. And what you've just heard is God's word. Well, Fred had been working long hours at his job recently. Uh, He wasn't able to get his work in during the 9 to 5 shift at work, so he was staying a little bit later regularly. Uh, He would come home and eat a brief dinner with his family, and then he'd retreat to his study and continue his work, often until his children had to go to bed. This had been going on for a couple weeks, and his son Gary was tired of it. He just wanted to spend time with Dad. And so Gary snuck into his dad's uh, study one night. His dad was working, and he said, Dad, can I ask you a question? And Fred said, sure, son, but make it quick. i got a lot of work to do. He said, Dad, how much do you make an hour? He said, son, that's really none of your business. He's like, Dad, just tell me. He's like, okay, I make $30 an hour. So his son thought for a second. He said, Dad, can I have $15? He 
He said, son, is that all I am to you, just money? Why do you want $15 from me? Go out of here. I got work to do. Get out of here. So Gary hung his head down and walked out. And Fred tried to work. He started to get back in his work, and then he felt pretty guilty. He snapped at his son. He thought, well, maybe my son has a real need. I don't know what's going on here. But he set aside his work and went into, Fred's room, or went into Gary's room, and Fred said, son, I shouldn't have snapped at you, and you know what? I'm going to give you $15. Here's $15. And the son lit up, he grabbed that $15, he pulled a jar out from his, under his bed and had a $5 bill and a bunch of change. He said, Dad, I have $30 now. Tomorrow after dinner, can we play for an hour and I'll pay you this $30? Time's important. Time is one of the most valuable commodities we can give to someone. If we have a personal relationship with family, they benefit from none of our love and care unless we make the time to spend time with them. If we have gifts to serve others in the church or our neighbors who don't know Christ, they benefit nothing unless we make the time for them. Time is valuable, more valuable than money. As Christians, as those who've experienced God's lavish and generous grace to us in Jesus Christ, freely pardoning us of our sins, freely adopting us as his children and counting us as righteous in his sight, giving us the world to come, we've been blessed so freely and totally on the work of Christ. And often in response to that, we talk about our lives being stewards, and we talk about money. And that's a big part the Bible talks about. We should steward the money God has entrusted to us in the service of our God as a response to his grace. And that's important. But there's other things that we're called to steward as well. Um, And today we're going to talk about stewarding our time and our talent, because that's what this text talks about. And our time and the talents God has given us to serve him and others are equally as important and sometimes more important than the money we're called to steward. Some of you may be great about redeeming the time. Some of you may have a real sense of, I've been so blessed in Christ and it's my joy to freely give my time to my family, to this church, to my neighbors and the community. And some of you may not. Some of you may be very selfish in your time. Regardless of where you're at, what we want to see from Scripture today is that God would want us to drink deeply at the well of His grace so that we can grow in being a better steward of what he's entrusted to us in the terms of our time and our talent. And so I want to use this text to wherever you're at, whether you have no sense of stewardship of your time and talent or whether you're really good at it, that we can grow by the grace of the Holy Spirit working through the word of God towards a more generous stewarding of our time and talent. That we might find it our great joy to respond to God's grace in such a way. So I want to draw three things out from this text here today to help us do that. First of all, I want us to spend some time looking at the gospel shape of stewarding our time and talent. The gospel shape of stewarding our time and our talent. How does the gospel lay a foundation for this? Secondly, we'll look at specifically the generous stewardship of our time and talent. The generous stewardship of our time and talent. And then thirdly, the God-glorifying approach to stewarding our time and talent the God-glorifying approach to stewarding our time and talent. Let's focus in on our first point here, the gospel shape of stewarding our time and talent. And I want to bring out three what I call gospel context that help us to think about how we should use our time and talent. And the first really comes in the first half of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is one of my favorite books, and I've read it a lot, studied it a lot, and it's, it's clearly broken into three sections. And the first section of 1 Peter is really all about What has God in his matchless mercy done for sinners like you and me through Jesus Christ? 
He has done everything through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to forgive us, bring us into relationship with himself, and to grace us with a new identity about how we are to think about ourselves. The pinnacle of that comes in 1 Peter 2.9, and if you would look back there a couple chapters in your Bible with me, if you're a Christian here today, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're a man, woman, boy, or girl who has united to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, these words are true of you. They are actually some of the most fundamental words about who you now are. This is your identity. And I want you to hear this and rejoice in this and soak this in. Christian, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen to verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Christian, that is what is true of you by God's free gift in Jesus Christ, which he purchased for you through his life, death, resurrection. That is glorious. That is grace upon grace. And what Peter does is, after laying that gospel foundation of this new identity that we have in Jesus, for the rest of his letter, he begins to say, God has been so generous to us, how do we now live out of this new identity that we have in Christ freely? How does life look differently in our relationships, in our church, and how we relate to the government and everything that we do? How do we relate to the non-Christian culture around us? But everything flows out of this new identity. Our new identity shapes us to live differently. Now, one of the identities my wife bears is a registered nurse in the state of Texas. She's an RN. Though we've lived overseas for almost a decade now, she has kept up her registered nurse status. She does her continuing education hours. And so by the state of Texas, she has an identity as a registered nurse, and that actually lays certain obligations on her. So, for instance, today if we were to go on the way to Jason's Deli and we came across a car wreck and there was someone laid out uh, who had come out of the car and was obviously injured, people were around her, I would not have an obligation to necessarily do anything because I really can't. But my wife has a certain identity that lays obligations on her. The state expects her as a registered nurse, if she sees someone in physical issues, that she must stop and help. In fact, if she does not stop and help and someone brings it to the attention of the State Board of Texas, she would lose her status as an RN or a registered nurse. It's her identity that calls her to live a certain way. It's a privilege she bears, but a responsibility as well. And in the same way, we've been freely graced with this new identity in Jesus Christ, and it calls us to live a certain way. It calls us to steward what God has entrusted to us. And as we're going to see in a minute, our time and talent. The second gospel context is right in our immediate passage, and it's in verse 7. If you'll look at the beginning of verse 7, Peter proclaims something that almost sounds apocalyptic to us. The end of all things is at hand. You might expect like a street preacher out there with a sign saying, you know, the end of all things is at hand. Repent and believe. People often wonder, when, is the, when are we going to be in the end times? When is the last times? And from a biblical perspective, since Jesus has come, we are living in the last times. We're at the end of God's salvation history. The end of all things is indeed at hand, whether it's today, tomorrow, 100 or 1,000 years from now. Because God has been accomplishing a plan since the beginning of mankind, since man and woman rebelled against God in the garden, God promised a plan of redemption to our first parents, Adam and Eve. 
And he's been accomplishing that plan, working things out. And the coming of his son to become incarnate and become our redeemer pushes us in the last times. And so Peter reminds us, when you look at the big picture of God's salvation history for the world, we are indeed living in the last times. The consummation, the finalization of our redemption is at hand. We live with joyful anticipation of the day when our resurrected and ascended Savior returns again to renew this earth, to resurrect our bodies, to judge the wicked, to make all things right. And because you are God's people, because you have this hope, this joyful expectation of the return of Christ, it calls us to live a certain way. I mean, do you see it in verse 7? The end of all things is at hand, and notice the next word, therefore. This is meant to give shape to your life. Therefore, what? Be self-controlled and sober. For what? For your prayers. And he continues on to give the results of living a self-controlled and sober life. You love one another earnestly. You uh, show hospitality and you steward your gifts to serve others to the glory of God. For us, knowing our place in history, in God's history, gives further gospel motivation, if you will, to live how God calls us to live. To live thinking, my time is not my own, my gifts are not my own. They belong to the one who purchased me at the cross of Calvary. He's coming back. I'm looking forward to that day when he comes back. I'll give an account to him for how I do that, how I live in response to his grace. And so I want to be a good steward of the time and talent he's given me. So a second gospel context, not only our new identity, the place in history we live, and the third is the fact is that God has very specifically been generous to you if you're a Christian in giving you gifts to serve him. Look at verse 10. It says, as each has received a gift. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Christian, if you're a Christian, do you know what it means to be a Christian? It's not that you have assented to a number of abstract facts and you find the facts about Jesus more compelling than the facts about Buddha or Islam or just secular materialism. It's you have joined yourself to the person of Jesus Christ. You have believed into Jesus Christ. The Bible says you have been united to him, much like a marriage, where you are connected to Christ. You are in Christ so that God doesn't view you apart from Christ. That's why you're forgiven and justified and a child of God. And the glorious thing is that Christ is in you in the person and power of the Holy Spirit. His presence is living in you in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ is in you, Christian, and he manifests himself by giving you gifts to serve his body and to serve the world. There is not a giftless Christian in here. Some of you may look at others' gifts and think, oh, I wish I could preach like Jeremy, or I wish I could lead music like the brother who led earlier, or I wish I could do this or that. I don't have any gifts. And the Bible would come and rebuke you and say, no, the Spirit of Christ lives in you, Christian, and he manifests himself, maybe not in the same way as this person or that woman or this man or that boy or child, but in some way for service, and it's a gift. Just like your forgiveness, your pardon, your adoption is a gift of God, the gift to serve is a gift. It's given by God, and each of you has one. God has been generous, but he doesn't give the same gift to each. Notice in verse 10 it says, to be good stewards of God's varied grace. Some have one gift, some have another, but each has some gift. And each gift, as we give them, contributes to the whole. 
there's not a single person, just one person in this church that has every gift this church needs to be healthy and whole, to grow together and to minister to Wichita Falls. Each of your gifts is important, whether you're old or young. If you're a Christian, if you're united to Christ by faith, Christ lives in you by the Spirit, and he's given you a gift to serve. And it's all important. Our family is a family that loves the Lord of the Rings. Uh, we read, my kids are reading the books now. We've watched the movies multiple times, more times than I, I'd probably be embarrassed to say how many times we've watched them. Uh, but they watch them over and over again. I tend to be a one-time movie watcher, but my wife, even before we had kids, maybe watch these over and over, and I do love them. My kids watch them over and over. And there's a great scene in The Fellowship of the Ring, the very first movie, where the elf princess Galadriel is with the fellowship, and I think they've lost one member at this time. There's only eight members left, I believe. And do you remember the scene where she's giving her gifts out to each of them? And she comes across the two hobbits, uh, Merry and Pippin, and gives them these little daggers. And they're, you know, they're excited. There's these daggers. And she comes to Samwise Gamgee. And Samwise is hoping to get a dagger just like Merry and Pippin. And what does she hand him? Does anybody remember? A rope. <laughs> and you can see he's crestfallen. And he looks over and says, you don't happen to have another one of those shiny daggers, do you? And she just smiles and moves on. And each member of the fellowship gets a different gift. What's interesting, as the movie goes on, each of those gifts becomes vital for the mission of the fellowship to destroy the one ring. And even Sam's lowly rope that he was so disappointed to get at one point in the journey saved his and Frodo's life. The gifts were varied. They were different, but they were necessary. And in a similar way, the word of God is telling us today, Christian, God has given you a gift if you are united to Christ by faith. And it's vital. It's important. God chose it for you, so use it. Be a good steward. Don't hide it. Take the time to use your gift. And so, friends, I want to urge you to let the gospel, even as we begin to think about the time and talent, let God's grace to you in Jesus because he's given you a new identity in Christ, because we are living in the culmination of our redemption, because God has very specifically chosen you not only for salvation in Christ, but the gifts he's given you, he gave you intentionally. We are called to use them with joy and thankfulness because God has been so generous to us in the gospel. To not count it a burden, but like we saw in verse 9, if it's hospitality, we do it without grumbling. It's our joy to exercise our gifts because they're gifts. And if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe you're a young person and you've grown up in a Christian home, but you've yet to embrace Jesus, or you're an adult and you're exploring the Christian faith, you've come at the invitation of a friend, or you come because that's what expected, that's what a good southern boy or woman does, you need to know this salvation, relationship with God, everything I've talked about, and a joyful expectation of Christ's return can be yours if you'll simply embrace Christ by faith. The gospel offer is open to you today. You're here today. You're hearing the good news. You can move from a person who is not part of the people of God to being part of God's people. You can be move from one who deserves God's wrath to experiencing his mercy if you will repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And I can't stand before you today without extending that gospel invitation and encourage you to receive God's grace for yourself. Now let's talk a little bit more. We've talked about the gospel context of our gifts. Let's talk about the gifts themselves. And my second point is the generous stewardship of our time and talent. 
how do we receive these gifts rightly? Let me direct your attention to verse 10 again. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The word steward is very important. You know what that word means? It means that you don't own the gift. It doesn't belong to you. You can't just use it or not use it how you want. It belongs to another. It belongs to your Redeemer who purchased you, to whom you are united. It's his very presence through the Holy Spirit in your life. And you're a steward. Stewardship makes all the difference when you're not the owner. I live in a rented house in Australia. I could never afford to buy a house in Australia. It's so expensive. And even renting is expensive there. It's an expensive city in Sydney. And in our house, I'm not even allowed to go and nail something in the wall without calling my realtor who manages this house for us and say, can I nail something in the wall? And I did call them and said, I want to put up some pictures. Can I nail something in the wall? You know what they said? Nope. (laughs) Go to the store and get those real sticky things and stick them on. Uh, You may not nail things in the wall to put pictures up. This house does not belong to you. And so I have to treat my house a certain way because I'm not an owner but just a steward of it. Every six months, they'll come and inspect it, and they'll walk through and make sure I'm taking good care of the house and say, hey, you need to do this. You haven't taken good care of this, or let's take care of this because I'm not an owner. I'm a steward. The Bible's telling you today, Christian, the gift he's given you, you're not an owner of. You're a steward, and you have to use it the way God calls you to use it, who gave it to you. And what does he call you to do in verse 10? Use it to serve one another. It's not just for your own benefit. Now, if God has given you spiritual gifts, they benefit you. If you have a gift of, let's say, administration, that blesses your life. You're able to organize your life. Your life is less chaotic. But it doesn't benefit others unless you take time to use your gift of administration. Or maybe you have the gift of teaching, and you're able to read God's Word, and maybe more than your neighbor, you're able to get more fruit out of God's Word, and you don't struggle as much maybe in Bible study to to learn and things. You have a gift of teaching, and so the the Bible comes more easy to you. But it does not benefit the people in this church unless you take time to lead a Bible study, teach children's Sunday school, preach if given the opportunity, or teach a a small group, lead a small group discussion. Our gifts are not just for our own benefit. To be good stewards of them is not just to use them for ourselves. It's to use them in the service of others. And the context for that is always the local church, first and foremost. That's why we become church members, to commit to a local body, to use our gifts as good stewards of God's varied grace. And part and parcel to using our gifts is the time it requires to use them. You can be the most gifted person in the world, but if you don't take time for people, they will not benefit from what you have. We know a young lady in Australia who's a very gifted pianist. Her name is Kayla, and she's also gifted in teaching piano. And she's wonderful. She's studying music in university. But my kids benefit nothing from Kayla's gift unless Kayla makes time to come to our house each week to teach them how to play piano. And, of course, I secure time by paying money. She's our kid's piano teacher. But you get the point, right? You have a gift. It benefits no one unless you make the time to use it. Scripture is calling us, implying in this passage Don't be so busy with your life, going about your own affairs, just thinking about what's good for you and your family without being a good steward of the gift that Christ has entrusted you to serve his body. Use it. Make the time to use it. So I would ask you, Christian, 
if you're a member of this church, can I ask you to do a little self-evaluation? Can you identify one area in your life where you know that you're intentionally serving others in this body to build them up, to benefit to the ministry, the health, the growth, the relationships in this church? If you can't come up with something, maybe there's a time of repentance. Maybe there's a time for you to say before the Lord, Lord, I've been hiding the gift you've been giving me. The scripture says I have something to give. I have something to contribute by your grace. Help me to use it. Maybe you have lots of gifts, but you're just not making the time. You're so busy, caught up with everything else. But I just want to remind you that you have more time than most people in human history. (laughs) Most people in human history live subsistence day to day, and they have very little time, very little free time to do things. And we live in Texas in the year 2020 in a first world country, and we have more disposable time than most people in human history. Now, I speak as a father of five little kids. You can say, look, I have kids. I understand. It's busy with little kids. Uh, There's lots to do. But still, when we look at ourselves in the history of time and the history of the world, we recognize that we have time. We have time to have someone over for a meal in the evening from time to time or to go to coffee with someone or to carve out some time to serve in some way and use our gifts. And our time is valuable. And God is calling us to say, how are you spending your time? Yes, there's a place for personal recreation. We need that. But are you using your gifts? And so I just ask you, as you look at God's word, as it says what it says here today, if you would just evaluate your own life, just before the Lord, between you and the Lord, and say, Lord, how am I using my gifts? It's not always about signing up for a position in the church. I mean, I'm sure there's things that need to be done in this church. People could sign up to teach Sunday school or, uh, I don't know, set up the chairs, um, I don't know all the ministries there, lead a women's Bible. So I mean, those are good things and their needs. But a lot of ministry is just very relational. I mean, we saw hospitality, verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. One of the most important ministries you can do for your time is just to spend time with people. Invite them to coffee. Invite them in your home. Go out to lunch together. And that can, sometimes can be the best ministry you can do. We've served in three different continents, uh, America, India, Australia, and I feel like our most effective ministry is always having people in our home, regularly making time each week to invite people over for a meal, spending time with them. Much of my ministry is just going and spending time with people and making time to talk about what's going on in their life, to open the scriptures with them, to pray with and for them. And every one of you in here, I think, can do that. Every one of you in here can make time for your non-Christian neighbor. Maybe to invite them to coffee, to get to know new people in this church you haven't sat down with, to spend time with people that you've known for a long time, to encourage each other. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Time is so valuable. Relationships and hospitality are so valuable. I feel like it's one of the most valuable ministries we do, even as missionaries. It's just opening up our home to people, making the time to let them come in. But how are you stewarding your time, Christian? God calls us to a generous stewardship of our time and talent. And as we think of that generous stewardship, we need to consider our third point, the God-glorifying approach to stewarding our time and talent. And that's our third thing I want to spend a little bit of time with. Notice what the ultimate goal of our service to God in response to his grace is. We see it in verse 11. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies Notice the phrase in order of that. That's giving us purpose. 
in order that in what? In everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Why? Because to him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Regardless of the gift you have, notice he breaks up all the gifts into two categories, speaking gifts or service gifts. That's one way of thinking about them. But whatever, whether it's a speaking or serving gift, make sure you do it in such a way that it brings God the glory, that it honors him, that it brings praise to him. That's why I spent the first point talking about the gospel context. You know, God's not glorified when we try to use our, our gifts as a way to earn his favor. To say, maybe if I serve a little harder or show more hospitality, do more, God will love me more. God's actually dishonored by that because it's anti-gospel. And so the first aspect of glorifying God with our gifts is recognizing that God has already freely accepted us, forgiven us, loved us, given us a new identity, given us a secure future hope by his grace and grace alone. And so when we exercise our gifts rooted in the gospel, that's the first step of glorifying God with our gifts. But there's a couple other things that God calls us to do to help glorify him in this text. And I want to draw those attention to that in verse uh, 11. What if you have a speaking gift? You have a gift of teaching, a gift of uh, encouragement, a gift of um, proclamation, rebuke. How do you do that in such a way that it glorifies God? Well, look at verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. In other words, your speaking gift is always to be shaped by the scriptures. Whether you're encouraging someone one-on-one, whether you're teaching a Sunday school lesson, whether you're leading a small group or preaching a sermon, what you're wanting to do is to bring God's word to bear on their lives in a way that exalts and calls them to depend on Jesus Christ and his grace. Do you do that, even just in your personal conversations? As you're having coffee with your non-Christian neighbor, trying to point them to the gospel. As you're having a meal with a Christian friend and finding out what's going on in their life, thinking, how does God's word speak into their life to encourage them and help them? And if you're ever in a position, I hope, where you're teaching a Bible study, leading a small group, preaching a sermon, I hope that you're opening God's word and letting God's word speak. You know, when you walk out of here today, I hope you'll be wanting to be more generous with your time and talent. But I want you to do it not because some preacher named Richie Some missionary guy said it, but because the word of God, you've seen it and God has spoken to you through his word. And so we always want to make sure that God's word is influencing our speaking gifts, our time with one another, our speaking to each other's lives. Because it's so easy to parrot the wisdom of the world, what we heard on Oprah or Dr. Phil or seen on social media, that sometimes is actually very contrary to what God's word says. You know, I watch a lot of movies with my kids. We do family movie night regularly. And some of the worst movies in the world at the deeper level are the Disney movies because the message behind it, and then we watch Disney movies. I'm not anti-Disney. Sometimes we think, oh, if they don't have cursing or sex scenes or bad violence, it's good. But the message of every Disney movie can be boiled down to this, believe in yourself. Trust me. Every Disney movie, believe in yourself. That is satanic. That is anti-gospel. What it means to be a human being is we were made for dependence on our creator. We're called to never depend on ourselves, to never trust in ourselves, but to trust in God, our creator and redeemer. Do you give advice to people? Oh, you're good enough. You've got this. Just believe in yourself. Or do you point them to the redeemer, a God who freely gives himself to all those who call upon him? 
everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's not just to enter the Christian life. That's how we're meant to live the Christian life. And so, friends, if you have a speaking gift, or even if you don't think of it as a gift, as you're counseling one another, spending time with one another over coffee or a meal, make sure that you're pointing them to the Word of God. That's how you glorify God with your speaking gift. What about your serving gift? Look at verse 11 again. Whoever serves, how do you serve in such a way that glorifies God? How do you set the chairs up, pass out flyers, clean the the fellowship hall? How do you do that in a way that glorifies God in, in addition to trusting in the gospel? Well, it says in verse 11, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So as you serve, are you serving by the strength that God supplies? Well, Richie, what does that mean? How do you serve by the strength that God supplies? How does that glorify God? Let me give you an illustration. This morning, I, I'm staying at a hotel about 10 minutes down the road, uh, Baymont Suites or something like that. Did you know that I found your church without any problem today? I navigated perfectly to get here, didn't make a wrong turn. I got here in the quickest way possible. But you know how I did it? Google Maps. <laughs> Google Maps told me turn by turn. I mean, a uh, Anybody that can drive and listen to instructions can do it. I have no glory for getting here to your church without finding it. it all the glory is Google Maps on my phone. It told me. It, it was the one that guided me. Google Maps gets the glory for me getting here without incident and safely, without getting lost. Friends, when we serve in a way that obviously magnifies God as the one who strengthens us, gifts us, he gets the glory and not us. And that's what we're after. I mean, that's why we need to be saved in the first place, because we were glory thieves, and when it was all about us, and we're redeemed so that now it can be all about the God who's freely created us and redeemed us. And so we want to serve in such a way that he gets the glory. So you may ask again, well, Richie, how do I serve in the strength which God supplies? Well, we saw a hint of it in verse 7. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. The way we serve in God's strength is to get on our knees and beg for his help. Not just in those areas that we know we struggle to do well, but in the areas we think we do best, perhaps especially in those areas that we think we do best. Oh, I've done this a thousand times. I don't need to pray about you know, cleaning the fellowship hall. I've led a countless small groups. I don't need to pray about leading a small group. No, Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Zero. Nada. And so what we need to do at some point in our day, whether beginning our day or at the end of the day in preparation for the next day, is just work our way through and say, Lord, you're calling me to do this today. Would you give me the strength? I've got to parent these kids today. Lord, would you give me the strength? I've got duty, nursery duty at church. Would you give me the strength to joyfully and patiently deal with those kids? Lord, I've got to do this today. Would you be my strength? Would you be the one who enables me to do it joyfully, not out of grumbling, like verse 9, do hospitality without grumbling? Lord, I'm tired today. My kids kept me up last night teething (laughs) or wetting the bed or whatever it is. Lord, would you give me grace today to honor you? The Christian life is one that's meant to be lived in prayerful dependence on God, recognizing that Jesus wasn't exaggerating when he said you can do nothing apart from me. He was telling us the way to live the Christian life, which is in prayerful dependence on him and everything. And when we depend on him, he gets the glory. My question is, though, is what does your prayer life reflect about your dependence on God's strength? 
Is it your first thought? Is it your discipline to regularly come before the Lord and say, Lord, I desperately need you to do this in a way that glorifies you. Would you be my strength? I love the book A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Some of you may have read it. If you hadn't, it's a great book on prayer. Paul Miller in his book Praying Life has a very convicting quote. He says, if you're not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. You'll always be a little too tired, a little too busy. But if, like Jesus, you realize you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, you will find the time to pray. So friends, in all of life, but especially as we steward our gifts, it's meant to be done in prayerful dependence on the Lord, pleading with him to be our strength so that he can receive the glory. It could be possible that if you find yourself in a situation where you feel, quote, burnt out by your ministry at the church or some other way, it's possible, maybe you need more rest, but it's possible that you could have the wrong motives. It's been about you. You can tell that when someone doesn't thank you for something or someone's honored. You think, well, why didn't they say something about me or why didn't they thank me? Then you know you're not doing it for God's glory but for others. So maybe you need to be reminded that we're called to do it for the glory of God or maybe you've been doing it prayerlessly. Maybe you've not been getting on your knees and saying, Lord, I'm so prone to grumble about this. I'm so prone to be bitter about this. I'm so prone to be lazy about this. Lord, would you be my strength? Would you fill me with the joy of your Holy Spirit so that I can live in response to your generosity and serve you with joy? I'll never forget a vacation our family took a couple years ago. Uh, we were in Australia, and um, I wanted to go visit this beach called Himes Beach in a place called Jervis Bay. I'm kind of a beach guy. I love beaches. I often haven't lived on beaches, but in Sydney we have great beaches. But there's this beach called Himes Beach, and it makes the claim it has the widest sand in the entire world. And I thought, well, I've got to visit the beach with the widest sand in the entire world. So I found an affordable Airbnb little cabin right by this place, and we went down there. And on one Tuesday, I, I think I was like father of the year that day and what I did for my kids. You know, we woke up in the morning, and it was a, it was a smaller neighborhood, so there were wild kangaroos that came around. I went to the store and bought ice cream cones because I know that kangaroos like ice cream cones. Just the cones, not the ice cream. They love ice cream cones. And my kids and I, we went out and we tried to feed the kangaroos. I took my kids on a nature walk. We walked around. I took them to this jungle gym later, and they were having competitions about who could hold on the longest, and so I would time them. Uh, later that afternoon, uh, we were right by this little lagoon, and so we went on these kayaks and went kayaking. Um, the kids loved to fish, and so I would tie their hooks and bait their lines and they'd catch fish and we had so much fun uh, later that evening uh, we played a card game together uh, maybe uno or something we had a family movie night i went and got pizza and we watched a movie and we had a fun day a fun day and at the end of our days we almost always end our night with family worship together and the first thing we do in family worship after we sing is we go around and we have each kid and adult say hey what's one thing we're thankful to god for from today something we enjoyed something about god and we got down to little Jedediah, who was still four at the time. And I thought for sure, I mean, man, I'm just thinking, man, he's got so many things to choose from. You know, I thought it'd be kayaking or fishing or feeding kangaroos. And I said, Jed, what are you thankful for from today? And he said, I'm, I'm thankful for Daddy and Mommy. All the fun stuff we did, all the talent I did to use to serve them, he was just glad for time with me because time is valuable. Time is the most valuable commodity, one of the most valuable things God has given you. And he's calling us to steward it for his glory, the good of his church, the good of our neighbors, our family, and everyone else. 
And so I just want to encourage you to lean deep in the grace of the Holy Spirit, to get on your knees regularly and ask that God would fill you with the power to joyfully steward the time and the talents you have for the service of your family, for this church, for your community, and for the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you've given us so much in Jesus Christ. We are beyond blessed. You have not withheld anything, and you've given us the best because you've given us your Son to be united to. Lord, your Holy Spirit dwells in each Christian here. You've given us yourself. And Father, we are so thankful for how generous you've been. And we're so thankful that though you're sovereign, and this is a church that delights in your sovereignty, they're a reformed church, you're sovereign and you're working in this world and in your grace, and yet you give us the joy and privilege to participate in your work. And you've given us gifts to serve you. And you've given us some measure of time, some more than others. Seasons are different in our life, but we all have some measure of time, whether small or great, to use the gifts you've given us to serve others. Would you please help us to grow in that? Lord, maybe some of us are serving enough, but we just need to repent of our lack of joy, our lack of glory thieving, our, our bitterness about serving. Lord, some of us need real renewal in our hearts so that we can serve out of joy and gladness. Some of us in here are just lazy or self-centered and we're not really using our time and talent well. And so we need your grace to lead us to repentance. <clears throat> we need to be diligent in the power of your spirit to use these gifts to serve others. Father, I pray that Wichita Falls Baptist Church would be a church marked by people who are prayerfully dependent on you to use their gifts in the service of one another and the community they're trying to reach with the gospel. Lord, would you do that here by your grace? Would you help us to be those who deeply depend on you so that we can glorify you with what you've entrusted to us? We love you, we praise you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.